Welcome to DT Madness, Chronicles from the Third Life, episode 82, February 3rd, 2024. So glad you could make it. jump right into the random stuff, work through it. Um, but this one has a fairly unifying theme, so uh, get there as soon as we can. I, I, I do want to let you know that I'm, um, I'm an intermittent faster now. Getting into intermittent fasting, the 16 to 8 method, and so just eating between the hours of 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. This is day number three. Um, the 5 a.m. club, yeah. I, I wasn't able to continue it even though I really did enjoy it because of the fact that I'm, I'm a tennis coach. And soon I'm going to be uh, spending my afternoons in on the tennis courts, which will, one, give me plenty of, of cardio, and, and two, would mean I'm, I'm going to be up for a really long time if I'm starting at 5 a.m. or a little before. Um, so still been waking up and, and every other day and doing my strength workouts here in the morning. Just got to make sure you, you don't think I'm letting you down um, if you know how I am. Dealt with some some money stresses, I guess. I don't usually stress about money. Money is it's just money. That's a thing that I... A phrase that I got from my dad. Um, I'm thankful to have it. You know, I'm thankful to have a good a good job and and all those kinds of things. I don't mean to uh, discount the stress that comes along with it, but um, it's just that th- that this year uh, uh, car insurance went up and and it it saved me a whole bunch of money if I just paid it all at once for the year. But dropping that amount of change um, all at once made me look at the finances for the coming year and, you know, college and, and, and new cars and, um, Isaac being 15 and soon to be 16 and, and all that kind of stuff is, is a real thing. So I spent a whole day, like, uh, just like really trying to crunch the numbers and figure out, you know, which things to, to do first and all that. And, and trying to, to picture the whole year and, uh, maybe how to make a little bit more money if I was to work, you know, it's like a barista, I could be a barista. I think I could be a barista. Um, but anyway, like, um, but then the next day I, I, I had to get a new badge for school, um, because my old badge cracked and it wouldn't, it wouldn't work to open up the door and it also, uh, makes our copiers work. But so I had to go to the district office and get a new badge and they gave me, they gave it to me in a, in a, what, you know, like a case, like a, a plastic thing that hooks to a lanyard and I'm not really a lanyard guy, but now I am. And I had this one that had crest chargers on it. It's green and gold. And so now I put it in my pocket and the lanyard, you know, cord string thing hangs out because I don't want to put it around my neck. Not, not about that. But now I look cool because I got that thing hanging out of my pocket and it says crest chargers. And what the kids do is they have all the different ones from the schools where they're being recruited. And I've been thinking about reclassing and going back and getting one more year of eligibility. But, um, so I thought about getting a whole bunch of them, but then I looked up to see if I could find one that had the the donuts on it, the fish uh, fishman logo, you know, uh, with the with the blue and the red donuts. 
And I found one that was $15 and I almost like I was really almost going to buy it. And then I just had a good laugh at myself because I was stressed about money the day before. And now here I am going to buy $15. Yeah. Um, I'm reading. Uh, I'm not quite finished with it. I hope to be finished today for sure. Tomorrow. Um, Love in the time of cholera. I do think it is an Oprah thing. Uh, I think she put the stamp on it. It's Gabriel Garcia Marquez. I read the one of his by a hundred years of solitude some, some years ago and really, really liked it. I don't really, really like this one, but the style is such that perhaps I just have to get to the end and then maybe all the things are going to make sense. But it's, it's kind of that, I don't know, postmodern wander and ramble around and I never wander or ramble around. So um, yeah, we'll see how that one ends up. Isaac came home and told me a joke from one of his friends about, you know, what do you get if you cross an elephant and a rhino? And of course I knew the answer because that is one of my favorite jokes that my dad told me from a long time ago. So, uh, you know, Elephano. Um, Sydney, man, uh, 17. Tomorrow, uh, the, the, her birthday was just after midnight and um, in miraculous fashion. And just after midnight on, on February 4th. So, so really the magic starts today. You know, it was about this time, 17 years ago that Sarah and I were going to crack a barrel and, and her waters broke. And, and so that began, that, that began the day. And, um, I was looking at, you know, like I, I was looking at pictures yesterday. I made a reel for, for Instagram and whew, I was getting emotional, man. I really was. And, Cause like, I love, my, I love my boys, man. I love, love my boys, my boys, man. But that's my baby girl, man. Oh, um, it is February and it is for real, for real February. And that is something that I do in my classes. Uh, that's when we take this month and we really get down to business, especially in AP psychology, AP government. And I, I hope I can find a way to make that true in AP seminar. But if you ever see FRFR February that I've posted, that's what that is. Um, I told uh, my, my youngest boy, I was asking him, you know, if you had, if you had a son, S U N on either side and the earth was in the middle, can you, can you picture that? So you got, you got two sons and the earth in the middle. Would, would, would the earth cast a shadow on the other son? And he, he says, no, because it, it produces its own light and, so I told him, I was like, yeah, that's, you're, you're a son and, and Sydney is a son and, and Sam is a son and because I'm the middle kid. So I kind of understand. I mean, I do understand living in an older brother's shadow. I'm not the youngest kid, so I don't understand what it's like to live in two older siblings shadows, but I recognize that that's a real thing. And so I was trying to tell Isaac that there's no shadow that he has to worry about, that he generates his own light. And um, that's something that I've been telling him to shine on, shine your light, not like, not unlike what you do every day, you know, but just a reminder. And so I'm going to, I've gotten the idea for my next tattoo, which is going to be three sons. I don't, I don't know if it's going to be all of the same son or three different sons. Haven't reached that part yet. I would like the words Esequam Vadiri to be in there. Um, as well. And 
I would like to have a lotus flower as well. I don't know if I should try to cram that in to the design. I need some people who can draw to kind of help me out with that. So, so there's that. And then there's a couple of other questions like what types of color would I add in or would it just be a straight up, you know, black regular tat or, and where is it going to go? And so I haven't gotten that far yet, but, um, don't forget that you're a sun, you know, that you shine. Um, all right. So like, okay, switching gears a little bit and then really starting from here is, is the main, the main chunk. So this is, uh, just close to nine minutes in. Let's see where this takes us. I, I've been seeing the, we, we watch Jeopardy and I mean, most of the time I would flip during commercials, but, but we just kind of leave it on while we're watching Jeopardy. We've been watching the second chance turning the champions and, and then seeing all the commercials specifically for, uh, House of Representatives and North Carolina governor. And there's one, this guy, his name's Bill Graham, not that one. Um, it's worth a Google search or whatever, just to see his cool haircut. But, um, he's, he's a, a fairly wealthy man apparently. And so he's been using his own money and he, he is running ads against Mark Robinson, another Republican, because, uh, the primary is March the 5th for North Carolina. And so Mark Robinson, the Lieutenant governor currently is, is running f for governor to replace Roy Cooper, who's term term limited out. Um, it, it should be Josh Stein on the other side for the Democrats, but, um, Bill Graham's been running these ads against, uh, <laughs> Mark Robinson talking about how Mark Robinson doesn't say good things about that, that he's anti-Semitic, that he downplays the Holocaust and whatever. And, and like, so then Bill Graham comes on, he's like, the Holocaust was real. Hitler was evil. And these are things that have to be said in 2024's Republican Party. I, I mean, so yeah, then there's the Gray Mills. And I can't remember the other guy who's so cheesy and he's got his daughters there and they're going to clean the toilet. I didn't make the mess in Washington, D.C., but I'm going to clean it up. Yeah, you are. You're going to be like a freshman member of the House of Representatives. You're not going to have any power whatsoever, but whatever. You know, you're going to clean up the woke garbage and Gray Mills doesn't want North Carolina to get turned into California. I've been to California, man. I know that I'm sure they got their issues because it's like the fifth biggest economy in the world just by themselves. But but I, I thought California was pretty cool. But uh, but it's all this woke garbage and I'm a Christian, y'all. And hey, I believe in green. And then I saw, I don't, I don't know what we were watching. Must have been uh, some kind of... Big Ten Network must have been Big Ten Network. So it was an Indiana commercial on the Indiana guy running for governor is holding his holding his Bible and he's going to bring all the values and use Proverbs twenty nine. I wish I could remember what my friend Matt used to say um, about that particular. You know where there where there is no vision, the people perish. I, I know that Matt Orth always had a a quip for that. I need to check in with him. And then there's like. This person named Candace Taylor, who spells her name K-A-N-D-I-S-S. I don't know what she ran for. I know that she's a locally elected official in Georgia. So I don't know like how prominent she is, but she's just one of so many who are now talking about Taylor Swift being Satan and Luciferian and how it's all this huge plot to 
you know, take over our, our kids and, and she's going to endorse Joe Biden and blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, the one American news network anchor who, who talked about if we only, you know, even sports is, is a psyop designed to take our kids attention like bread and circuses were. And if only we spent that much time on Jesus, but they're saying it real angry, like, you know, like, like Jesus, maybe they think they're turning over the the tables in the temple. Maybe that's what they, maybe that's what they think. I'll try to be charitable. Um, so there's this question of how we open our town council meetings. I, I'm serious, y'all. Like I, I'm not going to quit, but I wish I didn't have two years left. We'll, I will be honest about that, but, but let's, let's back up. I want to tell you about me and my, like, history. I remember this time, and it was it was during, uh, a, a like, Christian summer camp that used to be here at Gardner Webb. I guess maybe it's still, it's back. But uh, this guy named Clayton King was preaching a sermon. And I don't remember the Bible verse. I could look it up. But it, it was Old Testament stuff that, and, and he was talking about killing your idols. And I took that in my young mind and walked up and I was at my dad's office at campus police and he had a, a little Buddha statue up on his uh, bookshelf and I scribbled out. He wasn't, he wasn't there, I guess. And I scribbled out, kill your idols and like put it over the top of it because I thought I was making a huge point, you know? Standing my ground, standing on business. But but let me back way up. Or maybe forward a little bit and maybe I'll ramble a little bit like Marquez does. After all, our notions of linear time are only to help us sense some semblance of order. There was a guy named Buddy Corbin. And when I was real little, like, I don't know, fourth grade, fifth grade, whatever. Um... I went to Boiling Springs Baptist Church, the one here in town, the one that was the foundation of the town. Yeah. And Buddy Corbin was the pastor at the time, and his son, his his youngest son, James, was one of my good friends. Buddy and James, both tremendous musicians. Buddy, one of the kindest and uh, wisest people that I've that I remember meeting, you know, at least in my recollection, but, but even in talking with him over the years, briefly, very respected by me, at least. And so there was that, I think I was baptized in the old font by Buddy. And, uh, of course, of course, James and I would do a, a lot of stuff that kids would do. We would smoke cigarettes in the woods and whatever. I don't know. We, we camped out one night in a tent in his backyard, me and a couple of me and James and a couple of friends. And we, I don't know how we got into, like, we didn't have a Ouija board. I don't think, but we were definitely doing some type of, of seance move. And as, as we were in the midst of it, somebody looked up at the top of the tent and it looked red. They thought it was red. And so we became completely convinced that it was the devil, you know? And we, we, uh, 
we made that tent holy. We were singing the hymn, holy, holy, holy. Like we were freaking out. But we thought that if we could just do these religious practices, then we could cleanse all of that. That's funny. We woke up in the morning and the tarp on the top of the tent was red. Um, but yeah, we did, you know, at, at, at BS Baptist there, Bowling Springs Baptist, we we had lock-ins and, and uh, James and Josh and, and Spencer were called the three mosquitoes and they would do like uh, lip syncing. You know, we're, we're what, you know, 13. Um, they would do Born to be Wild. I remember that. And I got to run the lights. Um, you know, we, I, I did RAs and they had a haunted trail. I mean, just, just good, good people, man. Just good, 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 good church people. And buddy was, was a good, wise, kind, gentle leader. Was. Um, I don't remember which order this went in. I, I, I was a part of Beaver Dam Church for a while too. A lot of this had to do with with which team we were playing church softball for. You know, I remember Paul Sorrells. He was old and old school. Um, I remember they got green carpet during the time, and it was a pretty big battle uh, to decide whether or not that was going to be the carpet of choice. But mostly what I remember of those church days is just spending Sundays afterwards at my mama's house and eating biscuits and with lots of butter and sugar and cube steak, I guess, and sitting around. And Tim Hendrick was a part of this story at Sandy Run Church. I never really had a regular church attendance, you know, consistent in terms of like being a part, having my letter at the one. So by the time I was in high school, my group went to Sandy Run Church. And so this is Tim Hendrick part one, the high school days. And, you know, it was was good stuff. I remember a ton about what was going on other than the times that we would go to Caswell, you know, the, the, the Fort Caswell. and. Uh, the Church Baptist Summer Camp, and we went to one in Charleston, like I think at Charleston Southern. Might have been at College of Charleston, but I, I can't remember. But I mean, we were, you know, we were interested in Bible studies with the young, the, the girls our age at, at during that time, you know, just for, for good conversation there, good spiritual conversation. But I mean, you know, by this time, at least I don't want to mislead you. By this time, you know, through through uh, young, young Life, I mean, I was a part of Young Life, and we would go to Windy Gap, and I loved Windy Gap, and we went to Frontier Ranch, and I've talked about it, and the, the, the Young Life clubs that we would have, we were all very active, and I would listen and be stirred, you know, by the by the words of Sid Bradsher and Maddie and Trey um, Gillum, and, and, you know, we had the mixed-up lives of teens, and so we were doing whatever, exploring different uh, substances and such as that. and But I don't want to mislead you like it wasn't just all a throwaway for me. My spiritual hunger, like the, it was a real thing. Uh, I was really longing and, and thinking and writing about what is true and good and beautiful during that time. Then in, in college... Um, came Jim Tool, Amen or Oh Me, and there was this Christ Covenant. And I guess it was kind of the first, 
like it was the precursor to elevation and, and hope and all those kinds of things that are around here, like the let's get after it super hype kind of mega church type stuff. And um, I mean, that was, that was fun. You know, again, I, I guess I don't remember much about it other than going on Sundays with, with college friends and, and, and whatever, like it, I, I remember there was a guy there named Stephen Furtick who was the worship pastor. He was. And now he's the Elevation King. Um, and there was a guy there named Matt Orth who chose a different route. Which I'm glad about. That place was called Christ's Covenant, if I didn't say that. And then it disintegrated over some uh, turmoil between the staff. But during college as well, we, we went to these, whatever our... I think it changed a couple of times. I think we called it the rock some, but like whatever the, the campus wide church celebration type things were, um, Sarah was a part of that and I was involved in it and we would do Bible studies in our, um, apartment when, when, when Mike Stone and other people would bring bags of biscuits left over from Cracker Barrel and we would sit around and people would play guitar and we would talk for hours and hours and hours about what was real and we would get involved in ridiculous theological discussions that can never be answered, that have never been answered, but but, but people would take sides and, and we would really try to hash it out and try to understand. Yeah, that was that was good stuff. In, in classes at Gardner Webb, I, I had professors that, that fit this mold, you know, that fit this angle that I'm talking about. Tracy Jessup, one of the greatest uh, human beings that, that you could ever meet. I mean, a man that would do anything for you, kind and wise and, and, and really just positive. And I remember some of the things that he talked about. Um, I had Dr. Karskad, who um, was a, a the first real Catholic. He became a Catholic because he believed in the unity of the church. That was the reason why he did so. Um, but he was a professor at Garden Web that Sarah and I had for philosophy class. And he posed questions that made me really begin to consider um, what it's all about. And then I had a, a professor of New Testament named Jack Partain. And Dr. Partain asked me a question that still um, reverberates how many ever years later, 30 years later, you know, uh, maybe not quite, maybe 25 years later, but, you know, what if fully human is fully divine? And and then after I graduated from Garden Web, I went on to be a part-time youth pastor. Sarah was still a senior at Garden Web, and we lived in our house in Mooresboro, and I was a part-time youth pastor. So this is Tim Hendrick, part two. And this is all in a lead up to how I feel like I need to make my claim about town council in case you are getting lost. Throw you a hint. But Tim Hendrick was the pastor and was really thoughtful. Old school, conservative, probably fundamentalist. I don't know. Didn't seem that way to me at the time. He was beginning to be creative with an older congregation, and that uh, stirred stirred some feathers, ruffled the pot. How does that go? 
I was the youth pastor, and so I did. Well, anybody got to vote in the church meetings because Baptist, and so there were some things like uh, cutting down some trees uh, that I did not think we should remove for for the reasons at the time. The main one was about getting a giant bright neon sign. Um, and we would have those meetings and as usual, whatever came up, the church would vote and everybody would say, I, nobody would say no, but I said no. And I got outvoted church to one on a couple of occasions. I wasn't the, the greatest, um, youth pastor, just like I'm not the greatest teacher in, in disrespect because I, I wasn't able to give them the the carrots, the incentive, like I didn't want to have pizza parties. I didn't want them to come for the pizza parties. I didn't want them to come for the fun surface stuff. I wanted them to be there with their own intrinsic desire to to know what was good and true and beautiful. To know about the Christ, you know. And I realized along the way that I had to give in a little bit on that. I still have to give in a little bit on that as a teacher, but I still don't want to. And and it's because what I was trying to tell my students yesterday, it's because I want them to believe in them like I believe in them. I want them to have the hope that I have for them. But women deacons and, and all that came along to this second part of Tim Hendrick. And then he was asked to leave in a, in a, uh, church meeting that I've never felt more contention if you want to talk about the devil (laughs) after Sarah graduated we moved to Statesville for a couple of years and and worked at a Christian school there and went to um, a church called Western Avenue with Pastor Skip and he was definitely a fundamentalist is Calvinist like hardcore stuff man and you know, the school was pretty cool at the beginning because it was brand new. But then as they realized how they were going to have to deal with finances, they brought in a basketball coach who began to recruit kids from Lithuania, I think is where it was. And their justification was um, that if we build it, they will come. And the reason, so they began to recruit basketball stars so they could build up their basketball program so that they could make their school bigger. And it was a a means justifying the ends kind of deal. And I'm not about that life. So we left. I remember a guy named David Moss there who I don't know what I would think about if I heard him teaching today. But he was a really, really intelligent man. And the way that he presented information in studying scriptures was impressive and edifying. So we, we came back once I got a job here at Crest High School, and after kind of looking around a little bit, we stumbled on this thing called the Fellowship. And they were Tolkien nerds, and so it was definitely based on the ring. But it was a group of people who sat around in a coffee shop. The, the owner of the coffee shop would shut it down on Sundays, Sunday mornings through early afternoon and we people would come in with crock pots plug in the crock pots while uh my friend matt would teach i think it was romans 12 to start if i remember right 
but go through it verse by verse, not picking and choosing, not looking for themes, but just going verse by verse. And he would teach for a little bit on that. And then there would be a time where people could ask questions and we could have discussion. And then after that ran its course, we would get the crock pots out, pull the tables together and sit around and eat. Just like Acts 2.42 encourages. And it was beautiful. That that beauty led to more people wanting to be involved. And so what became Broad River Community Church the early days, we we moved around. We were at an elementary school gym for a while, um, eating in the cafeteria, sitting in the little kid chairs. That was fun. Um, putting on things that we call VBP, Vacation Bible Party. Um, Real stuff, real stuff, doing what I wanted to do, doing what I thought was it, was it, you know, it was it, no matter if I thought it was or not. <laughs> I, maybe I shouldn't say this, but then came music. Then we started to incorporate music every day, every week, you know, and then it became a traditional service that had to be planned, that had to be organized, that had to be meet expectations. I don't mean any disrespect because the, the musicians that we had were phenomenal and they were dedicated and no doubt that they were spirit-led. But I wish we hadn't. But there were good things like Monday nights I've talked about, you know, in the basement of this old house with a, with a group of people called the Community, Community Discipleship Home, CDH. And we would, we would be vulnerable with each other, a bunch of guys. We would laugh and joke and eat uh, snacks and be vulnerable and cry and share our fears and our, uh, our obstacles, you know. And, and we would read books together. Uh, we read one in particular called The Long Obedience in the Same Direction by Eugene Peterson. And that was magnificent stuff. And then Sarah and I began to host... Um, Garden Web students here at our house on Wednesday nights and other times around fires and we would cook lasagna and we would make food and we would sit around and we would talk about real stuff. And we're still friends with those people uh, even after a decade or so. And, and Sydney was just talking about how we need to get the band back together. A little reunion tour. And, and Broad River continued on. And and then Sarah became an elder, which women deacons, man, it's always an issue. And it was. It was with people. Can a woman even be this? And after a, a long battle, she could. And she did. And she poured her heart and her soul and her health into um, that enterprise. That role, that role of servant, servant leadership. And, and then, and I'm fast forwarding through a whole bunch of stuff, but then I became Elder DT, except for that I couldn't be Elder DT while Sarah was Elder Sarah because of the structure of the, of the governance. There was some, there was some concern that maybe Sarah and I were plotting to take over. Dun, dun, dun. 
and and thus began the the fall for sure. But it worked out, and and it was time for Sarah to to uh, rotate off anyway because she needed to take care of herself, and so I I rotated in. But I just wonder. I just wonder. And then I was studying, and I've been studying. It began in the early days. I began to read N.T. Wright. I started with a book called Surprised by Hope and read everything else that he's ever written. The only one I couldn't read was called The Christ and the Covenant because it had so much Greek in it. I don't know Greek. But I read N.T. Wright and studied N.T. Wright, and I listened to the best preacher that I've ever listened to, a guy named Jonathan Martin on the Renovatus podcast. Jonathan moved on for some reasons. And I listened to Matt Orth teach on Sundays and Mondays and in conversations. And I read multiple commentaries from a variety of perspectives. Not getting paid. Nobody got paid at Broad River. Nobody got paid. It was all volunteer. I'm not doing this to get paid. But I read all the angles. I read Hauerwas and Peterson and Witherington and Evans and Rohr and Hayes and Yoder and Smith and Brueggemann and Bailey and Merton and Bonhoeffer and Lewis and Barry and Robinson, Tolkien, Will Campbell, Beekner, and more N.T. Wright. And I practiced. I was introspective and reflective with prayer and meditation and rehearsal and expectation. I, I poured myself into it. I did. Believed in it. And so I would, it got to be where I could fill in as Matt took sabbaticals. And as we began to rotate who was going to teach and preach on Sunday mornings, I began to fill in and I would drop in my own little flares with song lyrics from Widespread Panic or the Avett Brothers or Dave Matthews or something like that. And I'd try to be really relevant and, and real, just like I am when I try to teach. My armpits would be sweating. And of course, my right one would be smelling funny. I don't know why that is, why my left one don't, but I would get really nervous. And then afterward, I would be there with my head hung low, not knowing how to interact after pouring myself out in that way and just trying my best to, to receive what anybody had said. And then I got to, to, to teach about my favorite passage in scripture, which is Romans 8. And I got to do that on my birthday, January 28th in 2018. But by then, the, the elder swapping and the, the fear of taking over and uh, the fallout from a variety of squabbles over women and over LGBT and, you know, personal rivalry that had been there before Broad River. All that began to take its toll. And there, then, then the, the mortal wound, yeah, then it was done. There were attempts to put the pieces back together. We made attempts at doing a, a home church here at the house, but it just never was something that could fill the void that we that we definitely had. You know, it, when I talk about going to the Avits at Red Rocks and how we had to, uh, uh, how that was a, a healing time for us. This is what it was. This was that summer, two thousand So where we ended up was not at a home church, not at any other type of situation. 
but with the church of six. Because there's five of us. And my friend David was sitting on the front swing one afternoon or all afternoons, whichever, as time kind of morphed into itself. And we realized that this was it because we were still searching for the true, the good, and the beautiful, the Christ, the thing that is real with each other, learning in depth. And of course, it is us five plus one as the Church of Six grew. It's more than just David. It's my friends. Yeah. Y'all know who you are. I don't want to drop names. Maybe you don't want to be associated with the CO6. But I am a prayer, okay? Like, I am a prayer. Each and every morning, I wake up in prayer. And as I sit before I start my day, I'm I'm breathing it in, you know? My spiritual appetite is ravenous. My desire for goodness and hope and life and love and peace drive my existence. I believe in what the uh, what Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians 5:17 where you should just pray continually. I want my whole life to be like that. But I also believe in Matthew 6 when Jesus says, "Don't go on babbling a lot like the pagans do. Don't just stand out there and say all your words really loud for people to hear. It's why when I see pictures on Instagram of like worship face and like all this kind of uh, advertising of worship and prayer, I just, it's just not the way that it should be in my view. Matthew 6, you know, he says, don't go on babbling, pray this. And then he says the Lord's prayer, but not so that you can say it out loud, really loud during a sports game. All that's fine. I'm not mad about that. I'm just saying like, we, we gotta, we gotta read and study and think and like see the context. So yeah, I mean, you know, I put a note that said, kill your idols on my dad's little Buddha statue. And now I look back and think about how arrogant and short-sighted I was. My dad is the person who introduced me to Robert Persig, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, which I've read six or eight times now and changes my life every every time I read it. And I've read more and more fiction and nonfiction, Mary Oliver and Thich Nhat Hanh, who my dad also introduced me to, and Rumi and Khalil Gibran and Jung and Ram Das. I meditate, I sit, I breathe, I pray each morning. I breathe in and out, Yahweh, Christos. Ruah. I use those names because God and Jesus and Holy Ghost or whatever are names that I'm so familiar with that in some ways I feel that they lose their meaning. And so I really try to focus on the, the, the essence, like the livingness, you know, God, the Father, the Son, the Christ, the Spirit. I smile in thanksgiving and joy after I breathe in and out these things. I breathe in and out in unity with my people. And you know I love fish and good music and so much of that is the spiritual experience that is rooted in all that I have been going on about. And so, when it was presented to me that politicians from our district made mention that we are the only municipality in the county that doesn't begin with prayer, 
And there was this hint that maybe we would receive more funding if we did such a thing. I was disgusted, outraged. I mean, there's the First Amendment and all that, you know, no big deal. It's not as though we have just Christians in Boiling Springs, although I'm sure it's 99% who would, uh, who would say so. But I know that we have people who are practicing Buddhists, and I know that we have people who are practicing Muslims in town. Many of them are some of our most prominent business owners. And so, yeah, there is the First Amendment application. And yeah, there is the, the thing in Iowa where if you open this up, you do have to open it up for, for a variety of religions to come and pray also. And maybe that's fine. Of course, the thing in Iowa, they put up the Satan statue and then the guy went and chopped his head off and now that's the whole thing. But for me, it's not about as much about the church's influence on the government. I, I believe in public faith. I don't believe in going on babbling about it and that you should have to say it real loud to let everybody know. But I believe in public faith. I believe that what um, influences me, informs me, should influence me, inform me, and, and all the things. But but for me, the, the entanglement between church and state, it's what it's done to the church that's so heartbreaking to me. It's like prayer is a badge that you wear. A political appearance of demarcation to say in Jesus name you know even when we have to let other religious backgrounds participate if they choose but when it's our quote unquote our 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 quote unquote turn we will make sure to emphasize in Jesus name just to let them know and I don't think that's the spirit I'm not about that life never have been and a thing I want to explore at my next uh, Living Lotus counseling appointment on Monday is what what is it that I lost when BRCC fell? What is it that I have grieved so painfully long? Maybe it's that I'm not about this life of the modern expression of the American Christianity, what my friend Matt called churchianity, the appearance without the depth. I don't mean to go on too much here. I understand my own shortfalls. I'm aware of my hypocrisy. I'm confident there's much more that I'm not aware of. People are at different stages and our paths are paved with a variety of obstacles and experiences. I realize that I am connected to you, to everyone, to all of it. Like, I understand that. And so I'm not I don't mean to sit in any kind of seat of ultimate judgment or anything like that. Maybe I'm, it's too late to say that. Maybe it's best to just leave the question here. To suppose that what I desired was to continue to pave the stones of community life. Stones marbled together with humility and grace. And what I ended up with was church to one. But that's not true because what I ended up with was the church of six and that's right where I need to be Mary Oliver 
writes, so every day I was surrounded by the beautiful crying forth of the ideas of God, one of which was you. Well, this has been a Church of Six production brought to you by the Bucket of Life, by the Wall of Belief, by the Foundation Tower of Stone, by the Magic Rock times two, the Rope of Relationship, and the Token of Hope. Nothing divine is desperate, and may all your circumstances serve to awaken compassion. And as you go, teach peace. Don't forget to believe y'all and be live. Grace and peace, my friends.